Again, welcome to those of you who are visiting with us today for Back to School Sunday. Uh, congratulations, students. You're going back to school. I'm sure you're, uh, you're very excited about that, aren't you? Some of you have already gone back to school if you're in Seminole County. Uh, my name is Father Cameron. I'm the assistant here. Our rector's away on sabbatical uh, doing some time of rest, and I am here on her behalf to welcome you uh, to Church of the Good Shepherd. We've heard from a fairly familiar story in the Gospels today, the story of Jesus walking on the water. And I want to make a few comments on the story itself, and then I want to speak specifically to you who are students, who are going back to school, whether it's middle school or high school, because I think this Gospel has something to say specifically to you. So here's the context of the story. Jesus is tired. He's been ministering to crowds, healing, multiplying loaves and fish, and he needs some alone time. So he says to his disciples, you know what? I need to not babysit you guys for a while. Why don't you go fishing or something? And so they get in a boat and they are pushed out to sea by a strong storm. And Jesus, all the while, is praying. And the language in the, in the gospel actually lets us know the time of day was probably from about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So uh, Jesus' prayer life uh, puts most of us to shame, doesn't it? But Jesus is praying, and all the while, the disciples are out at sea, probably thinking they are going to die because of the storm that has ensued. And for some reason, Jesus thinks it's a good idea to walk out there and freak them out. You know, I think, I just have to think there's something in him that just said, you know, I'm going to mess with them a little bit. I'm going to walk out there on the water and see what they think. I don't know if he like did something where he made himself look extra ghostly or something. Who knows? He's Jesus. But he, he walks out there and the storm has calmed down at this point and they begin to see him and they are freaking out because they think he is some kind of malicious, evil spirit ghost who has come to do them some harm. And he gets closer and closer, and when he gets close to them, he says this, Be not afraid, it is I. Uh, The language there, the original language, actually means something like this. For that term, be not afraid, it means something like this. Cheer up. Cheer up. They, They had to be thinking, are you serious? <laughs> we just almost died. James and John have been throwing up over the side of the boat because they're so seasick. <laughs> and you're telling us to cheer up and not to be afraid? Well, Peter, who is always the first to speak up, Peter, rash Peter, uh, he says, you know what, Jesus, I don't believe it's you. Uh, I want you to prove that it's you by letting me, get this, step out of the boat and walk on water. So put this together. He doesn't really think for sure that it's Jesus, but either way, he's going to step out in the middle of the ocean and try to walk on water. Now, I don't know about you, but if it was me and I wanted Jesus to prove that it was him, I would have said something like, hey, Jesus, if it's really you, what kind of fish did we have for dinner last night when you multiplied them for the crowds? Salmon? Okay, yeah, it's Jesus. All right, it's Jesus, guys. We can calm down. But Peter wants to jump right in the water and walk on it like Jesus. And Jesus, in his great patience with Peter, says, all right, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat, and it says that he begins to walk toward Jesus. He, he starts off on the right track, and his eyes are on Jesus, and he's walking out there. And then the storm winds start to pick up, and Peter notices it, and he thinks, oh crap, the storm's back, and I'm going to die. And he stops focusing on Jesus and focuses on the storm, and he begins to sink. And then he just cries out with these simple words, Lord, save me. 
Lord, save me, a cry of desperation. And Jesus, in his gentleness, reaches out immediately and pulls Peter up. And they get into the boat, and Matthew tells us this little detail that might not seem important, but it says, then the storm winds came to a still. In Jesus' presence, the storm winds come to a still. So then the most important part of the story happens after all this, though, because Jesus gets in the boat with Peter. The storm comes to a still, and this is what Matthew tells us happened. Those who were in the boat fell down before him and worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the most important part of the story. They didn't know how else to respond to someone who could walk on a stormy sea and whose very presence brought hurricane winds to a still. The only proper response was worship. What can we learn from this story? There's a couple things we can learn from this story. One is this. Jesus is in control of everything. Jesus is in control of everything. His decision to walk on water, though I made it sound like it, it wasn't really a random prank. Because when Jesus does things with his disciples, he does them with intentionality. He has a purpose to demonstrate to them generally something about who he is. In the ancient world, the sea was understood to be the central symbol, the primary symbol of chaos, disorder, and violence. The sea. And if you've ever seen a storm out on the coast, you understand why, right? If you've ever seen what a great white shark can do, uh, you understand why ancient people saw the sea as the symbol of chaos and disorder. So when Jesus walks on the sea, his disciples must have thought about the very beginning of their scriptures that described the beginning of creation and said the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the sea. And began to bring order out of disorder. And they recognized something about him. This is more than a man. You see, Jesus holds the world together. There's another place in the Bible where St. Paul says this. In Jesus, all things in heaven and on earth were created. And in him, all things hold together. Jesus holds the world together. Together, even when we feel like it's falling apart. The disciples thought their world was falling apart in that storm. So Jesus walks out on the sea to remind them who is actually in control of their situation. The story also teaches us this, that Jesus addresses our fears, our deepest fears, and asks us to trust him. He asks us to trust him. Fear is a big issue for all of us. I know that it's a big, fear is a big issue when you're a student. I know from personal experience. When I was 15 years old, I was diagnosed with something called uh, chronic idiopathic scoliosis. So here's the translation of that. Your back, your spine is really crooked and screwed up and we don't know why. And I had to wear a back brace and I was entering high school and I had to wear this giant brace around my torso that you could see under my t-shirt and I had fear. I was going into a new high school. I was afraid that people would not accept me. I was afraid that girls wouldn't like me. I was afraid that I would not have any friends. I was afraid, afraid that people would constantly talk about me behind my back because of my back brace. I was so afraid. And I wish that I knew Jesus then because I didn't. And I didn't have a Jesus to call out on and to take comfort in. Instead, I turned to other things that never ever gave me true peace. And I'm going to say more about that in just a moment. 
but there are other kinds of fear. There are other kinds of fear, specifically for students. Fear of academic failure, right? There's fear of letting down your parents or your teachers. There's fear of what career path you're ultimately going to choose when you go off to college. There's a fear if you're going to make enough money to make it in this world. There's a fear of uh, gaining a certain status so that people will recognize you as a productive member of society. There are so many different kinds of fear. There's also a fear for you who are followers of Jesus of what people might say about you when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's huge. There's three ways that I want to suggest today that Jesus addresses our fears. Three ways that Jesus addresses our fears. First one is this. He prays for you. Jesus prays for you. When Jesus was on that mountain all night long and he knew that the disciples were going through a storm, did he not pray for them? Father, help them to trust that we are in control. Help them to trust. The Bible tells us in another place that Jesus lives in the heavenly realms praying for those who seek God through him. So here's what this means. You know that feeling if you're like playing softball or soccer or some sport or something and someone is in the bleachers and they're like cheering for you and yelling your name and it like just juices you up and gives you energy. You feel good because someone's on your side. That's how you should feel knowing that Jesus prays for you. He's on your side pleading for you before the Father. This is the second thing. Jesus died to make you acceptable. Jesus died to make you acceptable. He made us all acceptable before God. He forgives our sins and our shortcomings, and he invites us into a new life. Well, how does that address our fears? How does that address our fears? Because so much of our fear, so much of our fear revolves around what others think of us, um, how much greatness we can achieve in this life. But here's the thing. No matter how talented and skilled you are, no matter how much money you end up making, no matter how prestigious your job is, you will let people down. You will have times of failure. You will let yourself down. And you will have moments where you become painfully aware of your own moral failures before God. But the good news is this. The good news of Jesus is that we are loved by a heavenly Father who never fails to forgive and to pick us up and to put us back on our feet even when others have rejected us because of our shortcomings. Number three, Jesus shows us that the antidote to fear is worship. The antidote to fear is worship. This is the most important thing I'm going to say to you today, so please do not miss this. Here's the thing. All of our fears and insecurities cause us to turn to different things for comfort. The way that I dealt with my fears and insecurities as a teenager, as a student, was to turn to drugs and alcohol. I partied with older kids. I lied to my parents about where I was at night. I got into trouble, skipped school, and I didn't realize it at the time. But I was being shaped by what I worshipped. Namely, my own image, substances that gave me temporary satisfaction, and thrilling experiences that I thought were curing my fears, but in reality were making me more fearful, more and more dependent on things in this world that can never, ever give true peace and satisfaction. Here's what the story today tells us about worship. 
Jesus' disciples realized that worship was the only proper response to a God whose awe-inspiring, powerful presence still storms, but at the same time stoops down to love on them as his own children. When he got in the boat and the storm became peaceful, his disciples realized that he was the answer to fear. So they worshipped him. Here's the thing about worship. Everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. In a very well-known graduation speech given years ago at Kenyon College, the writer David Foster Wallace gave an address called, This is Water. David Foster Wallace himself is not a Christian. And he made some very insightful comments about worship to the students at Kenyon College. I want to read you a snippet of what he said because I think it is so powerful and so true. He said this, Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid. And you will need more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out and so on. So I say this to you today. Remember this. Take this to heart. The Jesus who walks on water and whose presence brings the storm winds into submission invites you to worship him. Because only in worshiping him will your fears be calmed and your life given its ultimate purpose as a beloved child of the living God. That is what you were made for. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for students and teachers. We thank you for education, that you sharpen our minds through it and teach us about the world that you created and love. We thank you for this day to celebrate a new school year together. And we ask that you would show us in this sanctuary today what it means to worship you. And if we struggle with that, Lord, help us to understand your patience and let that draw us to our knees. As we finish out our service today, help us to pray the words of the liturgy with worship in our hearts. Worship for you who can still storms and walk on the chaotic sea. And Lord, most of all, make us aware of the love that you have for us. I pray for the students in this room today that this new semester would be filled with new understandings and discovery about your love for them and your purpose for their lives. As we come around your altar shortly, Lord, we ask that you would bless us with your glorious presence that both comforts us and challenges us to know you more and to fall on our faces in worship of you. It is in your loving son's name that we pray. Amen.